the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You become a Christian and all your troubles are gone, right? Wrong. But what do we do with affliction, suffering, trials, tribulations? How do we handle them as believers in Christ? We've got an answer for you coming up next. I'm Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. Hi and welcome. This is Abounding Grace. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, has us in Romans today, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We're answering the question, how do we respond to afflictions, trials, troubles, struggles? It's all found here in the text before us. We are to glory in our afflictions. I know that sounds pretty odd and strange, It goes against the grain of just about everything we believe. Yet, it's right here in Scripture. But we also have God providing an answer as to why we are to glory in afflictions. Here's Pastor Gary with the details on this edition of Abounding Grace. Daniel 9, 7, and 8 talks about it. It says, Lord, to us belongs confusion of faces. How did this happen to us? We are just so broken, so rebellious against you. But you know... Even then, we have the strongest consolation, for God pledges to be our help and our support. And we have his promise that in Jesus Christ, we are right with him. We are at peace with him, and he is working through our adversities now to encourage us and to make us more like him. Patience is one of the highest blessings in Christ. What is patience? It is when we accept with meekness those bitter burdens that God brings into our lives and we wait upon him to help us. Patience is when we accept with meekness those tribulations and afflictions that God brings into our lives and we wait upon him to help us. Patience is not rushing ahead in our own wisdom or strength. The idea of patience is hupomone in Greek, to bear up under. The idea here is courage in steadfastness. God has brought this. I'm not going to chafe against it. It's good because he brought it. Do you have that kind of faith, beloved? This evil in my life, this difficulty, this sorrow in my life, this struggle that I'm going through as a parent, this bodily disease, this vexation of living in this culture, it is good. Why? Because it came from the hand of my God. So I am going to wait upon him. I'm going to trust him. You see, that is patience. Now understand we need to learn this lesson because hardly anyone, even the godliest, will truly cast themselves upon the name of the Lord and like Daniel set his face to seek the Lord because 
he was so besieged by trouble that he had no other and to no other hope but the Lord. You know, we are such a self-trusting creature until the end. Peter. Now here we might say, boy, if the Lord would only tell me what is going to happen, then I would know what really I should do. Really? Remember, God told Peter everything that was going to happen that night of Christ's betrayal. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You're going to deny me. You're going to hear a rooster. Everybody is going to go away. Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that. That night, it fell out just as Christ said it would. Peter was one of the 12 apostles, or might we say 11, a very godly man. And there he was. And it's the same with us. But then God shows us our true self when we bring adversity, when he brings adversity into our lives to show us we have no strength. We have no wisdom. God has to come to our help. And when we bear up under our afflictions, we will bear up under our afflictions because he does help. But understand, patience is not a natural response to afflictions, is it? There is a divine response. Men, when they come into trouble, naturally grow impatient and frustrated. But this is not because afflictions intrinsically make us impatient. Afflictions are like God's big spoon. And it stirs up what's already in our hearts. Suffering stirs up what is already there. So when he brings, to use another metaphor, a refining fire, it brings the impurities to the top. So when we see our anger, when we see our frustration and afflictions having their, their work in teaching us patience, we can give thanks to God instead of running away from them. Get me out of this. Let me go suck on my sweet vices so I don't have to think about any problems. That's what a lot of people do. You know, give me a bottle of beer. Give me some liquor. Give me some pornography. Give me some drugs, whatever it is, so I don't have to think about this or that. But if we bring ourselves under God's affliction, as he squeezes out our impurities, we are learning patience. Only reborn souls can rejoice in affliction because they are learning patience at the hand of God. I dare say if we were told this day, honey, this is the lesson we're going to learn this week. We're going to learn some patience. You'd be, oh, no, I'm dropping this class. I'm not taking this class. But then God says, you must learn this. Because you must be made like Christ. And unless you are patient under adversity, how are you going to love those who persecute you? Are you not told that? Paul in the, Paul in the Philippian jail, remember the doors are opened by a great earthquake. Maybe the Philippian jailer has a sword and he's about to kill himself because if he has lost prisoners, he might die a humiliating and horrible death. But Paul and Silas didn't say, hey, great, go ahead. He's one of God's enemies. 
he'll get exactly what he deserves. That is what a lot of conservative Christians would say today. But that is not what Paul and Silas said. They did good to him. And he was possibly one of the prison's torturers. Why did they do this? Because they learned patience. We are going to bear up under what God has brought into our lives. Or maybe like David, he said in 2 Samuel 2, 24, 1 through 4, when he foolishly numbered the people. And God said, you're going to be judged here. So pick your poison. Angel of the Lord, disease are given over to the hands of your enemies. David said, let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. That is the patient spirit. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord. If he wants me to be sick, so be it. If he wants me not to have a job at this point in time, then he doesn't want me to have a job. He wants to be my life and joy. If he wants my parents to treat me unjustly, if he wants my children to rebel, I will do everything I can to honor him. But if that is what he wants, it is good, and I am going to bear up under this by looking to his power and even rejoicing that he has brought this into my life to bring me low. And beloved, that is the only way we get to part two, that verse four, patience brings experience. Now, the word experience here is proven character. The idea that God refines our faith because he wants it to come forth shining as gold. A diamond, as you all know, is formed under sustained, focused pressure. So is mature faith. Untried faith is immature faith. So a Christian who is not tried is kind of a contradiction of terms. One of the reasons we glory in our affliction is because of this experience. They prove God's work in us to be true. If you have gone through a period in your life where you knew that the Lord was testing you and you didn't run away from him, and you didn't bitterly complain, but you humbled yourself under his heavy hand and said, Lord, like with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That is refined faith. You look back on that now and you say, man, God was working in me. That wasn't me. That was him. God was refining my faith. He loves me. And he wants me to be more conformed to Christ. He wants to show that I am not a fair weather friend. That I am a true disciple of the king. No matter what happens. You see God is forming a beautiful character in us. He is showing that our faith is real. You see we boast in that. Because it gives us opportunity to see the hand of God. God is going to refine me. God is going to show that his work in me is for real. It is not my giddy feelings. It's not just my experience of God. It is his own hand in my life upholding me, strengthening me, enabling me to persevere. And then, of course, that gives us great hope for the future in 
the present because we patiently have borne up. Wow, God strengthened me. There is proven character. God has shown that his work in me is for real and that gives me hope that God will never forsake me. He will never leave me. You know, nothing is better for us than to depend on God's word alone. And that, of course, is a nice Sunday slogan. But we are not going to be brought to it unless we feel fire. We're just not, beloved, because we grow sleepy and worldly. So rejoice, Paul says, in these tribulations because this is what they bring. They bring a patience that is able to bear up under adversity because it depends upon God's help. It brings an experience, a, a proven character, like Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 7. God has refined our faith and is bringing us forth like gold before the eyes of men and angels for his own glory. And then he gives us hope. Hey, I'll, he'll never leave me. I, I went through that. He upheld me. Whatever else happens to me, I know it will be okay because I know God will continue to uphold me and he will never leave me or forsake me. Now verse 5 and we'll be done today. You will never be ashamed if you hope in God like this. If you trust in his word alone. You know, I wonder if Noah dreaded building the ark. I doubt it. I wonder if Abraham regretted leaving Ur and then venturing everything on the bare command of God. What of Joseph, looking back over his life, thinking, you know, I'd wish I'd never come here. Oh, no, he was glad he did. There was a hope that sustained him during those dark days like David as well. David went through more than we will ever go through, difficult times and hope sustained him all you have to do is read the psalms what are the three hebrew children shadrach meshach and abednego standing before nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace saying will you recant your faith no then i'm going to throw you in go ahead god may want us to live he may kill us but we are not budging why? Because we believe in the God who raises the dead. They didn't give a whole sermon, but this is what they believed. What about our Lord Jesus? Was his hope ever disappointed? It says in Psalm 22 that he hoped in his father while he was upon his mother's breast. And then on the cross, he cried out to his father. He made his final prayer to his father, even while his enemies were mocking and cheering him on the cross. His hope was vindicated and he shouted with joy in great victory. It is finished. And he was received into his father's kingdom in glory. You see, God never disappoints those who hope in him. Never. No one who has ever built his life on God's word, has ever regretted it and said, boy, I wish I had been more worldly. I wish I had doubted God. Boy, I sure am sorry I believed in Jesus. No one has ever said that. In fact, there are many people in hell this very moment who said just exactly the opposite. I wish I had believed in God. 
I wish I would have had made Jesus Christ my hope and my righteousness. I wish I would have fallen down and confessed that he is my Lord, no matter what man may think of me. It doesn't matter. I am a sinner. I need righteousness, and Christ alone is the one who supplies it. No one, whoever looks to the Lord, will ever, ever, ever be disappointed. Now, everyone who trusts man will be disappointed. Everyone who trusts in self will be put to shame. Everyone. Now, there is something that God does for his people. And this is from a line there in verse 5, which is one of the most glorious lines in the book of Romans. Far from feeling ashamed for hoping in God when we rejoice in our tribulations, when we learn patience through them, when our character and our faith is purified and approved through them, then we are boasting in this process because as a Christian, I want to know that I know Christ. I want to know that I am not a Galilean that is just going to run away from him once the going gets tough. I want to be found in Christ. I want to be shown whether my faith is false or not. I don't want to live in a delusion like so many in the church today, thinking, hey, I've got everything. Oh, I know the gospel. Do you? I wonder how many really do and cast themselves upon Christ alone. Not feelings, not experience, not decisions, not gurus, not philosophy, but Jesus, His blood. And his righteousness alone. So God does something. He says not only am I not going to make you ashamed. But I am going to pour forth my love. In your heart. By the Holy Spirit. I know what we like. We want to know. We want to know more about the love of God. Which surpasses knowledge. Paul said in Ephesians 3. I want to be filled with all the fullness of God, height, breadth, width, depth of the love of Christ. I want to know this, God said. I want to know this. God says, okay, if you want to know it, when I bring affliction, adversity, suffering, persecution, sifting, testing, whatever it is into your life, you boast in it. You rejoice in it. And then I will teach you patience. Because when you call upon me, I am going to bear you up. I don't ever turn a deaf ear to those who call upon me in faith. And I'm going to reprove your faith, sift it and purify it so that you love me and not yourself. And I'm going to give you hope. And to top it all off, I'm going to pour my love upon you. And the idea here is in perfect tense. It means an abundant infusion, a continual infusion. I'm just going to keep on showing you my love. What an odd place to learn love. Do you know why we can't learn this in our culture today? You can't learn the love of God which surpasses knowledge when you've got other idols in your life. And you're bowing down to them like Rebecca in her tent. You cannot learn God's love when other loves are competing. Things, people, relationships, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect children, the perfect paradigm. Then I will be fulfilled. 
Forget ever knowing the love of God in Christ then, my friends, in any kind of deep way, in any kind of fulfilling way. Why? Because God doesn't share his glory with another. But when he empties us of ourselves, when affli- which afflictions do, and it's a process, it lasts sometimes lifelong. But when he refines our faith and purifies us, it brings pressure upon our lives. These things that we normally are averse to and we want to run from, now we embrace them. And we say with Paul, okay, I am going to rejoice in this because God is refining me and he will bear me up and show me his power. And he's going to show me his love. It is almost as if the apostle here is saying, we're not going to learn and have this fuller taste of God's loving Christ unless we learn first to boast in our weakness and to rejoice when trials and tribulation come our way. Have you ever been emptied of yourself in the sense that I just don't have the strength to go through this, Lord? I can't go on any longer. And you've gotten on your face before Almighty God and you prayed and you felt in a real sense God comforting you. And think, okay, this is what David was talking about when he said, God hides me in the secret place of his pavilion. That when I am in trouble, he shows me the secret of his covenant. A secret which is his nearness. That troubles don't mean he's far away. Troubles mean, troubles mean he is close. If I just look to him and wait upon him and not chafe and say, God, get me out of here. I'm so sick of this. Get me the easy life back. No, I don't want my easy life back. I want God's love. I want to know it. God says, you rejoice in tribulations. The pressures I bring into your life bear up. Under them by trusting in me, asking the Lord to give you an inner meekness that submits to his providences, even when they are tough, like Job, like our Savior. Lord, form in me a good character. I've got a lot of filth in me. I need for you to refine it. I need for you, Lord Jesus, to baptize me with the baptism you were baptized with. I need for you to come. With your Holy Ghost and fire and purify me. Every one of us needs this. No one is exempt. Not one. And I need you to put my hope where it needs to be. Not in me. Not in what I can manipulate. Oh, I can lie. I can find ways to get out of it. But I need your hope, Father. Or it is not real hope at all. It is fake. And then we get the taste of this sweet love. Because in our adversities, the Father pours out a sense of his love for us in Christ, his nearness and his goodness by his Holy Spirit, who was given to us as a gift to bind us to Christ. Beloved, let me encourage you as I close. We live in an artificial urban area just like the Romans did. And there are weaknesses that come from that, that can prevent us from taking this seriously, that can make us say, well, I'll just kind of fit this in with all the other stuff I'm doing. 
You, you can't fit this in. This is a life paradigm. We need to pray that when God brings affliction into our lives, we will learn to say, Father, thank you for drawing me to yourself. I don't have to understand why you have brought this trouble into my life. And it may last 20 years in your life, beloved. You don't have to understand why. Just pray, please, God, show me your glory so that I will trust in you, rejoice in you, boast in you, no matter what I see with my eyes, and that I will wait upon you to deliver me because that is my, that is because when, because what I want is not relief. So much as I want is you. I want your love to fill my heart, my family, my culture. But beloved, I'm not going to be able to be an instrument of that. And neither are you unless God empties us of ourselves and our worldliness through afflictions. So let us fall into the hand of the Lord and seek his mercy. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org. And if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.